Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about the early days of BGS. But first, thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, <laughs> Beckett Authentication, Compsy.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Panini, Upper Deck, and Tops. Rich, you were thinking about some of these things, and, and this is either a second look or a deeper look at uh, those beginning days actually before the launch of BGS, right. your comment that got me thinking in a deeper way. Well, the background is I'm listening to our CEO, founder, and even chief technical officer, Tim Getz at ComC, doing a webcast the other night. And Tim mentioned about the vault and how it was a fast fail, but he also mentioned how it was trying to create a totally different business than the original ComC business. It could not be done the same way as the ComC business was being done, which triggered something in my mind about BGS, because you always talked about you being the stumbling part of BGS, was were you maybe subconsciously concerned about starting BGS because it wasn't part of the core competency, Beckett Publications, which later became obviously Beckett Media, Beckett.com, Beckett, all these things, Beckett Grading would become. Rich, you phrased the question brilliantly, <laughs> uh, and I'm going to respond in a way you're not going to expect. I think it was part of our core competency, and that was not in any way my concern. I knew we could do it, the technical capability, all that stuff. I think it was not in our core, I don't know what it was. It was just, we had an honor culture, a high trust culture. As I was reflecting on this, I thought, as soon as you start doing grading and you're bringing in other people's cards, the level of security, we had a card library and it was honor system. And now after going through a lot of the cards, there is it one-tenth of 1% missing? Uh, at least that, but things got misfiled, whatever, but some things just, there's just slippage. You can't have any of that in the grading thing. I had some people that ran a tight ship under me, but I don't think I ran a tight ship in the sense that I had a certain ethical standard and I wanted to hire people that that shared that and, and came to work and were looking for how they could contribute and be ethically, honestly, hardworking and, and high quality. And we had that. But if you have that 99% and you have one bad apple in the grading department and there have been hiccups. So I, I think my concern was partly that it would create a watchdog company. Everybody's looking over their shoulder to make sure the metal detectors, that nobody's walking out with uh, cards or bulging pockets. It's one thing if they're taking cards from our card library. Again, that's wrong, but then they're stealing from me and I'm a big boy. If you have grading and it comes in, the amount of sophistication was locked up on, it was like a double lock. You couldn't get in and you couldn't get out. And I wasn't sure that our corporate culture would fit with that. So I think that's a better answer than worrying about our core competency. I always thought we could grade. And it's really cool that many of those guys we hired right at the beginning are still there. So I think we hired well. I also had a fear because a lot of decisions of not doing something are fear-based. Not afraid we'd be successful because I, I thought we could be successful. But I was a little bit of concern that some of our best price guide people might prefer to work in grading. And I didn't really want that. And we had Grant and Dan and, and Wayne went over there, Mark Anderson. There were a number of those early guys that were establishing the grading. And I felt they were too valuable in the price guide area to do that. But again, in our corporate culture, if they'd come to me and said, I'm madly in love with grading, I want to grade 24-7. And they were great graders for the most part. And for sure with Mark Anderson, he really found his home there. But I didn't want to lose Grant and Dan to uh, 
to grow. So I think I had that concern too. If, if we weren't going to populate it from people we already had that we didn't want to port over, we were going to have to hire people. But in the final analysis, I trusted my best people who said we need to do this. We went forward and uh, those early hires were really good. The other thing you said is a fast fail. I don't think it would have been a fast fail. And that also would give me concern. We wouldn't, like, we couldn't do a trial balloon and see. We had to jump in with both feet because I. But we also took our time. Before, before. Yes, we took our time. It was hidden deep in the website how to send in a card. I know Scott Alcoff found it and sent a couple cards in before we officially launched because we were testing internally with the 500 1985 Tops Dave Kingman cards. Yeah. And one of the things was that we tested internally. So we have some early BGS cards that were graded just from us employees. In addition, we'll use the term hired well, because I saw at the smaller Dallas card show, Eddie Brandon. And Eddie was one of, we'll call it the first group of five. And he was saying on April 15th, it's our 23rd year. And that's pretty good that you got five people who have done grading 24-7 for 23 years. I'll put that experience against any other grading company out there. I agree. And they they got no respect in the early days. And now they've really earned it. They've worked hard consistently and all that stuff. One thing that a lot of companies do that that I I particularly didn't do, I don't know about uh, Comp C. In a lot of companies, they would have the marketing rollout before they have their operational excellence. And I'm very much the other way around. I wasn't interested in advertising and marketing that we were doing grading. I want to just start doing it. And as it was, we got off to a good start, but we never really marketed and promoted it for quite a while. Then we'd have Pepper and Philip and those guys get on the road. That was unlike our corporate ethos in that in the beginning, early days of just having the price guides, it was, I hate to say it, but we were order taking. And we weren't soliciting for orders. We were suppressing orders. If somebody said, I want 50 magazines, we said, are you sure? instead of, how about 100? But with grading, it was the other way around. The other distinctive was we had always been dealer-oriented, dealer-centric in terms of dealers getting at least as good a deal as the subscribers and individual collectors. I think when we launched BGS, it was the other way around. We didn't go to the dealers. We didn't set up bulk deals. And that was, I think, because PSA was so strongly entrenched with the dealers We wanted to do something different. And they had a lot of these restrictions for who could submit and how you could submit and all that stuff. And we wanted to just have a universal, no membership. And the (laughs) other thing we did is we had the outrageous guarantee of on time or it's free. And that was something that I completely affirmed. I thought we can do this. And we had the capacity and the volume that we could do it in those days. And then over the years, that got to be a problematic guarantee. And we had to back off that. But that was always my intention because it really put us on the map that we were going to say what we mean and do what we say. When you talked about marketing, one of the things is I knew we had gotten past, we'll call it the worst of the pandemic at Comp C, when we started running, I'll call it specials again, to get, when I say specials, the things to get more submissions in, which meant that we felt comfortable getting the cards ID'd on time and then shipped on time. And it's the same principle. You don't want to do something. PSA is doing that now. They've now opened up at still a high price point, but they've now opened up, at least to the members of their PSA club, that you can submit as many cards as you want. There's no more limit on that. I was hearing on Hobby Hotline that they may be caught up by September now, which is ahead of my estimate, which was originally the end of the year. 
But you're right. Marketing is a multifaceted thing. And sometimes you want to be competent first and then market. Sometimes you market first and then try to figure out how you want to be competent. I, I like your style. Let's be competent. Then we can argue what we have. But it's it's not the way the world works. I know. But well, I, I like that better. It's, it's a slower growth, but it's more uh, sustainable. I think. The I other mean, thing I didn't know when we were contemplating this, I didn't know there was a guy named Mark Anderson that was going to be able to come in, not immediately, but over time and manage the technical aspects of, of finalizing and, and the throughput of the, he wasn't the fastest grader, but he was very sharp and very uh, decisive and he had the respect of the guys. And so I didn't know how the, that was going to be structured, that it was just going to be these five guys sitting in a room and kibitzing of, Hey, what do you think about this? There, there had to be some hierarchy and Mark for many of those early years really provided that Mark Harwell couldn't get in the room with him. And then later, the company decided to bring in Jeremy Murray, who I think has done a great job. But he's a non-technical manager of that group. Which... And there's a big difference of somebody who knows how to do the job and somebody who understands, the, let's say, the broader picture more. And as you point out correctly, what Jeremy's strengths are weren't Mark Anderson's strengths. Mark Anderson knew how the job would run from beginning to end. Also, we were, and, and we still are, I think... <laughs> The high cost provider. We're providing grading services and our cost of not just the time, but the materials and all that stuff. I think we're the highest cost provider, which is another reason why when you jump in, you got to say, can we really make money with this? The answer to that was volume. <laughs> if you have a big enough volume and, and enough demand for your product, and, and not only that, for these uh, quicker turnaround things where you get in a higher price point, BGS has done more than fine. But in the early days, we didn't know that. You're looking at everybody's going to send in economy. And we're doing this inner sleeve and we got this more expensive slab and we had to buy these machines and we've had to outfit the, you know, and build Fort Knox in the center of our offices and all that stuff. And so we weren't going to go for it, Rich, until all systems said go. It's interesting. When you talked about marketing until we got something done, the almanac started taking off in the second and third year, even though the first year was a really rough year for me. It was the same year as a rough year for you. I didn't have a heart attack. I just had a nervous break. I had basically, a, I don't want to say a nervous breakdown, but I basically had to take a week off and do nothing other than drink for a week after the first almanac. And then I had about a month afterwards that they just let me go fix the database. <laughs> so the second year book went much better. <laughs> but all of a sudden, by the second year, when we really started publicizing it, we actually had a book worth publicizing. So then we really went for it. And even though I was doing it, I'll, I'll use the term nights and weekends. I, I think that was a more profitable use of my time than the work I was doing for the monthly magazine. Because it didn't cost a lot of money to produce the books. And we were selling it for good money. We sold out every year. <laughs> Probably taking advantage of your health, as was the custom with taking advantage of my health too. But no, I think you had a more unique contribution to that, Rich. Uh, I was realizing that one of the not secret things, but when I try to explain why you would enjoy going through dollar boxes. And I would too. And I'm thinking people might think Rich has a really good memory. Jim has a really good memory. And yeah, that's true. But you had to know it in the first place to be able to remember it. <laughs> and you are, are a quick study. And then once you know it, but you had to know it the first time and doing those almanacs, which we both did, was knowing it the first time and then doing it the next year and the next year and all that stuff. So it is uh, cemented in there. People have to have the memory, but they also have to know it the first time. We also have the advantage of you and I have on this the same brain situation. We know what we've never seen before. And if we've never seen it before, it's worth a chance. It may not always work out, but if you've never seen it before, you've got a pretty good chance of it being. And to me, that's one of the great things, Tom C, but I'm sure it's one of the more interesting challenges for Beckett too. Mark and I would sometimes talk about cards when I was still there. 
we would have to research cards that came in that we'd never seen before because people would send in cards you've never seen before. Or, you know, just, just walk in the national, which was not a dollar box situation, but it was just an open air chance to see a bunch of stuff. In fact, I don't even remember dollar boxes being a thing until the last 10 years or whatever it's been. No, a dollar box, they would be sometimes discount boxes, but you're right, dollar boxes. Or a, a box where everything is the same price. Yes. I, none of that. I just don't remember that until 10 years ago. And part of that is also the national expansion. We talk about shopping the corner. Some of the new people in the corner, that's what they focus. Our singles club friends, everything's a dollar. When you have groups like that, it's fun to do. And one of my favorite stories about you is you worked out a deal last year with the guys from singles club and I'll buy X X cards. This will be, let's say, whatever it is. We'll just use the number of 75 cents a card, whatever number they quoted you. Or you quoted them. Okay, fine. They were happy. No, they quoted me because I I don't like to go first. Okay, so they quoted you and you said, fine. And then when you went to pay them, they they said, oh, you've got a thousand cards. Let's do lower price. And you said, no, I want to stay with what I, you want to stay with what you, what price you honor. The deal was a deal. But I mean, uh, the next time we could have a fresh. Next year you have a fresh. But then I've already proven, again, the lower the price is, the more aggressively I'm going to pull. I'm going to pull according to what I I can't do it very well. If somebody says, hey, I'll take care of you. And then I picked out a hundred cards. He said, that'll be $90. I went. That's not taking care of me. Rest assured, they, they were letting me basically, by the end of the show, I was basically handing them money. So I've got, okay, here's $75 for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't even worry about counting. <laughs> Last point about this BGS entry and, and how I was the glue gumming up the works. I did not feel that we were too late because that's some of the things like people coming out with vaults now. Is it too late? There's already a lot of vaults out there, but it's never too late for a new restaurant. If you've got great food, then you know, you're going to make it. And so I never thought we'd be too late other than we could have been earlier. But I think we came out, we had all our ducks lined up and I don't like to fail. So I, I didn't think we would fail, but it's been a bigger success than I thought. We decided to go for it. And then we hired into that department yeah. with some fresh talent, totally focused on that. We got in going with some people that were coming over and helping out, but it pretty quickly it moved into that. And I think that was important. And, and it's really is exciting to me that those five guys are, are still there and a bunch of other guys that have been there a long time. It seems like a no-brainer now, Rich. And I think I was decisive in many respects, but I was a little bit of wait and see on that. Now looking back, it looks like I, I should have been full speed ahead two years before. But anyway, thanks, Rich. Thanks, listeners. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode.